Pride FC at one point was the biggest MMA organization in the world. The Japanese MMA promotion began in 1997 and by the early 2000s they were at the forefront of MMA. And that's because they provided the sport with some legendary fights, fighters and moments. It was an absolute spectacle for the time it was around. But then in 2006 the promotion was bought by the UFC. And although the UFC wanted Pride to continue in Japan, they ended up shutting it down. By late 2007 the promotion was no more. So what happened to Pride FC? Hey guys it's Keon and today I'm going to be talking about Pride FC. I wanted to take a break from my normal style of videos and make this one. A video about Pride FC, a Japanese MMA promotion which till this day is still loved by many. In fact, many believe that Pride FC is better than the UFC. But of course, the UFC is thriving today and Pride is long gone. So in this video, we're going to take a look at the rise and fall of Pride FC to really understand why it's no longer around. But first, shout out to the undisputed members of my Patreon. They get the extra perk of a shout out before each video. But even then, intro members get early access and video to the Keon Kamara podcast. And as always, the money goes to charity. Now let's get to it. In 1997, Pride was founded by Japanese businessman and combat sports promoter Nobuyuki Sakakibara. He joined Hiromichi Momos and Naoto Morishita to form Kakutogi Revolution Sports, also known as KRS. Hiromichi Momos was a Yakuza mobster who put up 50 million yen of his own money to help start Pride. And the reason for this promotion being created was due to the intrigue of a matchup between Nobuhiko Takata and Hicks and Gracie, a grudge match that was created to see which martial art was the strongest, pro wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And at this time, the feud between the Japanese and Brazilians was at an all-time high due to their long history in martial arts. Pride had its first event on October 11th, 1997 at the Tokyo Dome in front of 47,000 people. With Hicks and Gracie winning this match and the rematch at Pride 4 by armbars, he became the face of the promotion. But when his son, Hawks and Gracie, died in 2001, Hickson stepped away from the sport for good. This was horrible news for Pride FC as they not only lost their biggest star, but in general the company was losing a lot of money from these events. So that's when KRS dissolved. Sakakibara, Momos, and Morishita continued to run Pride by forming Dream Stage Entertainment, also known as DSE, and this included Morishita becoming their first chairman, a move which helped restructure the promotion as he wanted to legitimize their product beyond being a novelty. And he did this by introducing the Pride World Grand Prix in 2000 on Fuji TV. Fuji TV is a huge television network in Japan and was not only Pride's biggest way to display their fights, but also the promotion's main source of income. The 2000 Grand Prix was an MMA spectacle which saw top fighters from around the world battling in a tournament to see who was the best, and it proved to be a huge success. Former UFC heavyweight champion Mark Coleman won the tournament, and this was huge as the second round of the tournament was the first time Pride was broadcasted in America. So to see a fellow American win this tournament was big for the promotion's growth worldwide. But the real spectacle was a fight between Kazushi Sakuraba and Hoist Gracie. It was a fight that continued the martial arts feud between Japan and Brazil. But what was wild about this match were all the rules that Hoist demanded. This included an unlimited number of 15 minute rounds, no judges, and no referee stoppages. The only way to win was by knockout, submission, or towel throw. And this resulted in the two fighting for over 90 minutes. Until this day, it is the longest MMA fight ever. Despite Hoist trying to bring the action down, Sakuraba was finding success with submission attempts and ground and pound. And while on the feet, Sakuraba connected with a bunch of leg kicks. By the end of round 6, Hoist was exhausted and was unable to walk. This forced his corner to throw in the towel. Despite fighting for over 90 minutes, Sakuraba decided to advance in the tournament that same evening. And even though he lost his next fight, he stole the show because of this tournament. And this was huge for Pride as they now had themselves an MMA star from Japan. Sakuraba truly was the catalyst for the growth of the promotion. This led to Morishita developing the popularity of more fighters not only from 
Japan, but also around the world. This included fighters like Vanderlei Silva, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Mirko Krokop, Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, and Fyodor Emelianenko. Mirko Nogueira and Fyodor became the trinity of Pride's best, and their popularity and skill alone was huge for the promotion's legitimacy in MMA. And all these fighters received the rockstar treatment. They would constantly be bombarded by the Japanese fans. They would make TV appearances outside of fighting. They would party, drink, and sleep with women. Being a Pride fighter sounded awesome. And this was a good thing for the promotion, as a happy worker makes a more productive worker. And these fighters were more productive as they truly followed Pride's fight philosophy, which was to entertain first. Even if the fighter lost, as long as the fight was fun, that's really all that mattered. This rarely led to fighters playing it safe in order to secure the win. They wanted fans and the best way for them to get that was to put on a show. And it was easier to do that with Pride's rule set. This included being allowed to kick and knee a grounded opponent. These shots alone added an element of brutality to Pride fighting. It also discouraged wrestlers and jiu-jitsu practitioners from staying on the ground for too long. Fighting in a ring overall wasn't beneficial for grapplers as a cage helped so much in setting up takedowns. So fighting in Pride really catered to stand-up action. Aside from this, the promotion also put up some wild matchups. Fights like Don Fry vs Yoshihiro Takayama and Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira vs Bob Sapp were absolutely wild. They were fights that matched up highly skilled fighters against ones who didn't have that much experience but had the size and strength advantage. These types of circus fights would never be able to go down in the sport today because the athletic commission would definitely not allow it. Speaking of the athletic commissions, they were basically non-existent in Japan, especially when it came to drug testing. Fighters were able to take whatever without any consequences. In fact, many fighter contracts stated that there will be no drug testing, which many people liked as you had top tier fighters go against each other at enhanced levels. Pride also continued to find success by introducing their Bushido events which showcased lightweight and welterweight fighters. Then the promotion joined with Japanese kickboxing promotion K1. This led to Pride Shockwave which was a mix of MMA and kickboxing bouts. Their first event attracted over 90,000 people which till this day is still the record. Pride really expanded in the early 2000s and a lot of that was due to the vision of chairman Nayoto Morishita. But on January 13th 2003, Morishita was found dead in his hotel room by hanging. The report was that he took his life after his mistress ended their affair. But this has been highly refuted because many believe his death was due to the Yakuza's involvement with Pride. Aside from dealing with Hiromichi Momos, DSC dealt with many Yakuza members. Especially in different regions of Japan where they'd hold their events as different Yakuza groups had territorial control over certain areas. It was said that DSC was in debt with the Yakuza, which may have led to the murder of Morishita. But what makes this story even more sketchy is how all his shares after his death, which were supposed to go to his wife, went to Nobuyuki Sakakibara and Ishizaka. As a result, Sakakibara became the new president of Pride FC. Ishizaka is another Yakuza member whose crew is based out of Osaka. He began working close with Pride over the years, and eventually he and his group had the numbers to take over Pride. Of course, this did not sit well with Hiromichi Momos. Tensions between the two mobsters and their crews were at an all-time high, and it climaxed the Pride Final Conflict 2003. What a fitting name. Because at this event, 100 to 200 armed Yakuza guys from both sides were ready to unload in the Tokyo Dome with a crowd of 80,000 people that night. Luckily, the animosity didn't escalate to a shootout, but by the end, Hiromichi Momos was removed from Pride FC and replaced with Ishizaka. Now with Sakakibara and Ishizaka on top, it really seemed like all tensions had died down, but it quickly came back in December of 2003. Former professional wrestler Antonio Inoki became 
an MMA promoter and in the early 2000s, he created the Noki Bombay, an annual MMA kickboxing event that happened every New Year's Eve. Television station Nippon TV wanted to get in on the action, so they made a deal with the Noki Bombay promoter, Seiya Kawamata. This deal required Miracle Krokop to headline the event, something Kawamata was able to do as he was the Japanese manager for Mirko. So Kawamata set up Miracle Krokop vs Yoshihiro Takayama as the main event. DSE executives did not like this, so they decided they were going to put on a show on New Year's Eve as well with Fuji TV. And to ensure that their event will do more numbers, they paid Mirko Krokop $300,000 to fake a back injury and pull out. They also threatened Mirko by saying he would no longer be welcomed in Pride if he fought at Inoki Bombaye. They also promised him a shot at the title as well. All of this happened 16 days prior to the event. So Nippon TV's solution was to get Pride heavyweight champion, Fyodor Emelianenko, to fight at Inoki Bombaye. And they got the deal done without any legal contract issues. Regardless, DSC was not happy about this. Sakakibara stated that they couldn't take Fyodor as he was a Pride fighter. He also threatened to sue everyone involved in the deal. But Pride had no legal rights to Fyodor, so the deal with Inoki Bombaye was completely legitimate. So to take matters into their own hands, DSC got the Yakuza involved. They began to send out threats to Seiya Kawamata and Fyodor's lawyer, Miro Mihatovich. Apparently, even Fyodor received threats as well. This led to a meeting between the two sides on December 21st, 2003. In a room full of Yakuza men, Sakakibara and Ishizaka sat Kawamata down and yelled at him to cancel this deal, saying that if Fyodor fights on Nippon TV, Fuji will cut ties with DSC. Despite all this talk, Kawamata proceeded with having Fyodor fight on Inoki Bombaye on December 31st, 2003. And although the event had the highest attendance of the night in comparison to Pride in K1, they also had the lowest ratings. And that was due to the minimal promotion of the fight card as they had no idea if Fyodor and other fighters would appear on the card until the day of. This failure caused Inoki Bombaye to dissolve. In the aftermath of this event, Fyodor's manager, Miro Mihatovich, was forced by the Yakuza to sign over Fyodor's rights to Pride for zero value. Because they made it very clear that he wouldn't leave Japan alive if he didn't comply. So Fyodor went back to Pride and the promotion continued to thrive for the next couple of years. The Pride trinity of Fyodor, Mirko, and Ogera was at an all-time high. All men fought each other and this included a legendary matchup between Fyodor and Mirko in 2005. They brought back the tournament format and this saw the rise of fighters like Shogun Hua, Dan Henderson, and Takanori Gomi. Their only other competition at this time was the UFC and at this point, the UFC was still growing in North America. So Pride decided to expand past Japan and hold a couple of events in Las Vegas. They even wanted to showcase Pride alongside the UFC by integrating some of their fighters on a UFC card. But UFC President Dana White said it wasn't going to happen because in his words, the Japanese are very hard to do business with. And maybe he had a point because on June 5th, 2006, Fuji TV terminated their contract with Pride FC. This was due to a series of articles that Japanese tabloid Shukan Gendai wrote in regards to Pride being a front for the Yakuza. This included interviews with Seiya Kawamata who after 3 years finally came out with the events that surrounded Inoki Bombaye in 2003. But this wasn't new news to most people in Japan. They already knew about the Yakuza's involvement in the sports and entertainment industry. But with the news coming out on one of Japan's biggest tabloids and in great detail, this was a bad look for Pride FC. It was also a bad look for Fuji TV who were being accused of continuing to work with Pride despite knowing the promotion's ties to the Yakuza. So to save their reputation, they terminated the television deal effective immediately. And with Fuji TV being Pride FC's main source of income, the promotion was now in huge financial trouble. DSC tried desperately to make a deal with another television network. This included former foes Nippon TV. But by this point, the name of Pride FC was tarnished, which 
made it impossible for anyone to work with them. So in March of 2007, the UFC purchased all of Pride's assets, which was reported to be at a price of $65 million. They originally wanted to continue Pride in Japan, but those plans quickly changed months later after the UFC realized how difficult it was to secure a TV deal in Japan. Plus, a background check done by the UFC revealed that Nobuyuki Sakakibara was not a suitable character to partner with. All these things led to most of the big names from Pride to merge with the UFC. And with their headquarters in Tokyo closing down on October 4th, the Pride FC era was officially over. Now let's recap on everything to ask the question, what happened to Pride FC? So obviously, the Yakuza was a huge reason for the promotion's demise. They did some sketchy things behind the scenes and once that came to light, no one wanted to associate themselves with Pride. Something that I didn't bring up was the influence they had on matchmaking. For years, allegations have been made about Pride fixing fights. But the truth is, there aren't many clear-cut examples of fighters being paid to throw a fight. The only one that comes to mind is Mark Coleman's defeat to Nobuhiko Takada, a fight that he says went down the way it did as Pride promised him another fight afterwards, which was a huge opportunity for him as he had to support his family. Even Pride commentator Boss Rutin stated that he heard talks before the fight of how it was going to end. There were also talks of fighters being paid to not fight a certain way, such as wrestlers getting extra money to not wrestle. But aside from using money, matches were controlled in a way that would make someone more favorable to win. A fighter with far more fights and wins overall would go up against someone who is not as experienced and has a losing record. Some fighters would have months to prepare for a fight while their opponent found out weak before. And sometimes, even if a fighter had time to prepare for a certain matchup, their opponent will switch up days before the fight to someone with a different style. Fighters in Pride hardly ever knew when and who they were going to fight, and that's why they stayed active in training all year round. Influencing fights in this manner was huge for the Yakuza when it came to betting and also setting up profitable matches in the future. And if it was the Yakuza that murdered former chairman, Nyoto Morishida, then that was a big mistake as he could have done some huge things with Pride had he stayed alive. Aside from the mob ties being a reason for Pride's downfall, another reason was because of the growth of the UFC. Pride was an MMA promotion, but it was entertainment first. They did their best to put on a spectacle for every show, which was great and did wonders for the promotion. But the issue with this is that MMA became more of a novelty than an actual sport in Japan. That's what the UFC did differently. They had visions of MMA becoming a respected sport that would be broadcasted on reputable sports networks. And fast forward to now, that's exactly what it has become. They they weren't fixing or influencing fights. They put the best against the best, and sometimes it didn't work, but when it did, it was magical. And because of this, fighters had to evolve to get better once new and better competition came in. And that new competition wanted to be the best, so that's why they signed with the UFC. The UFC also had a tough time in the beginning because MMA had such a bad image in North America. It was seen as a brutal sport that essentially should be banned, in comparison to Japan who were so lenient with all of this. But once the UFC began to legally say sanction their events in more places, update the rules to the sport, and test their fighters, the company and MMA as a whole became more legitimate in the eyes of many. And once a sport has a fan base, it's hard for it to die down, which is why the UFC is thriving today, especially as MMA continues to grow. But for Pride, they never took the steps to become a more legitimate sport. Plus, the company didn't have that many Japanese MMA stars. And because of this, Pride was just a fad in Japan. It was very popular for a few years, and then it wasn't. Even before all the 
scandals, Japanese MMA was slowly declining. Despite it only being a minor craze in pop culture, what Pride FC did will forever be legendary. There was nothing like it and there will never be anything like it again. It was a wild circus, but it was a necessary one for companies like the UFC to help MMA evolve. They showed the potential of the sport. And they did this by providing so many memorable fights and fighters. Until this day, people still reminisce on those days and recognize how amazing those times were. Pride was a movement and because of that, Pride never die. My name is Keon and this is my take on Pride FC. Do you agree, disagree, or have something else to add? Please put in the comments down below because I love to read it. If you like this video, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to my channel for more content like this. But that's all for now, so I'll see you in my next one.